Listeners, we all know it can be hard to find the time to sit down and learn more, so you might think you don't have time to read a book. Maybe you don't. Maybe you just couldn't be fucked. I don't blame you. That's where Blinkist comes in. Blinkist is the only app that takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes so you can read or listen. I read The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson the other day, Clancy, and now I'm sleeping in my car after telling the same thing to my landlord. So I highly recommend you check him out. There's obviously much better titles on there. Yes, I read The Making of Donald Trump, and as of late, I've made great friends with a lot of Russian diplomats. Yeah, it's almost like it's impossible for me to ever face any form of accountability. It was a great read, and I was able to read it in a short 15-minute summary. Right now, just for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Batuta to get 25% off of your Blinkist Premium Year membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Batuta to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial right now. Hi, I'm Clancy Overall, editor of the Batuta Advocate. This is Errol Parker, editor-at-large. Mahalo. Now, if you listen to our podcast, you'd be familiar with the format. We interview a broad range of guests from around Australia and sometimes around the world. But this, this week, we've, um, we've been presented with an opportunity to interview um, a prolific Australian singer-songwriter, and it was an opportunity so rare that we, we really had to film it. We couldn't turn this one down like we turned down Elton John, because this week, we're welcoming back to the show singer-songwriter and national treasure Paul Kelly. Except this time he's brought his guitar um, and he's going to sing a few songs for us uh, throughout the interview. So uh, sit back and enjoy the show. You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Well, thank you for joining us once again, Paul, and uh, congratulations on your latest and greatest, greatest hits album. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, guys. Now, when we, um, we heard you were going to come in and um, sing a few songs for us today, we kind of spent all week wondering what they could be, and we couldn't think of our four favourite. So how do you, as the man who makes those songs, find the ones you want to put on a Greatest Hits album? Oh, that, jo- m- that job's mainly was done by um, Liam at the record company. Yeah, right. yeah. And uh, it's a, for that kind of record, you just sort of pick the songs that are probably, be, probably the most popular. So there's kind of songs people yell at live gigs, like... Yeah, mostly, you know, then I, then I, um, but, you know, it was a pretty, pretty short conversation back and forth. Paul, when you were coming up, there were lots of different sort of, sort of music scenes that were happening in Australia at the time. You know, you had the 10 Pound Poms in Adelaide and Perth uh, get, getting into their rock music. You had the surf rockers down in, the, down in, uh, in Victoria. You had the, uh, whatever the go-betweens were doing up in Brisbane. What time and what place, uh, when you were coming up, had the greatest impact on the foundation of your music? Um, I would say the, the early 80s, and a lot of my influences were coming from my peers, from bands like the Go-Betweens, the Triffords, the Saints, the Hooter Gurus. So um, can you tell us why um, a handsome young aspiring musician decided to launch his career in 1970s Hobart. How did that come about? <laughs> uh, I was travelling, I travelled after I left school. I, uh, I travelled quite a bit, just um, um, 
going to different places. Well, travelled around Australia and different jobs, and I um, started playing guitar when I was 18, which is sort of later than probably a lot of people. Um, and the first things, uh, first songs I learnt were uh, early Bob Dylan songs and Hank Williams songs and, and folk songs. So I would go to folk clubs, and I was in Tasmania at the time working in a in Hobart, working in a foundry, and um, Salamanca Place had a folk club and they had a you know, open night, Monday nights. And I finally plucked up the courage to go down and sing a couple of songs. Um, Streets of Forbes, which is a song about Ben Hall, um, and um, Girl from the North Country, Bob Dylan's song. Yeah. So that, I played those two songs. How was the come down after you first had a gig? You just kind of to... oh, I got I got very drunk. All right, <laughs> I was so nervous. So I drank, I drank about a thousand beers, and 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 then my my friend who was with me remembers helping me home and getting yeah. me into bed. <laughs> I don't remember, but he does. Yeah. Well, you've certainly been around. You know, you've been to you know you've from uh, South Australia into into Hobart and in the Melbourne in. To Sydney, is that kind of where you got the uh, inspiration for every city's a fucking same? Every fucking city's the same. Yeah, every right. Fucking city's the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that was more travelling overseas, and uh, yeah, right. And um, one of the first places I played overseas was um, was in Dublin, and then we went back there a few times. And it, there's a particular area of Dublin called Temple Bar, which used to be, yeah. you know, um, you know, more of a sort of a lot of what they would call old man's pubs, and it was a bit, bit more, you know. Um, stiff. What's that? Stiff. No, not stiff. It was, it was more. It was. It was. It just wasn't really trendy. Yeah. And then um, there was a bit of a gap from from going. Then I, and I came back, and, and Temple Bar was sort of sort of full of, you know, there was a hard rock cafe, and there was all these sort of more chains in there, and. Um, so it seemed to me that the character of the place was, was becoming more like oh, anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And I just, so that song started from that observation of how there's certain parts of all, the West, all Western cities that in certain neighbourhoods, they're all the same everywhere you go. You know, like, I guess these days it would be like, um, you go to Northcote in, in Melbourne and it's, you can find a suburb like that in every other yeah. Sorry, city. Hills, you, you know where to go to get yeah, your yeah. kale and, yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. and your uh, yeah, poor, old, poor old Redfern's copping that now, I've heard. So, it was, yeah, but it's also, the other idea for the song was about how when, you, when you're miserable in love, yeah. every, every place feels the same. So. Yeah. Well, uh, we hope you're not sick of seeing that song. No, I'm not. Sure. I, don't, I, don't, I don't sing it. I actually don't sing it that much. So I had to have a little bit of a practice of it before I came in today. So here's hoping I'll get through it. Um, are we right? A bit closer to this, right? We argued on the Channel train to Paris. The Van Rouge helped us make it sweet again. By the time that we got down to Leon, everything I said was wrong, and you cursed me in the rain. We split up for a while in Barcelona. We met up six days later in Madrid. I was hoping that the break would make things go a little better for us, and for a little while it almost did. 
now I'm in a bar in Copenhagen And I'm trying hard to forget your name And I'm staring at the label on a bottle of cerveza And every fucking city feels the same I called you when I got to London A French girl told me that she'd left a note I said to her, I like your accent And she thought I sounded funny So we ended up drinking in Soho Foolishly, I followed you to Dublin Like a ghost, I walked the streets of Temple Bar And all the bright young things were throwing up their Guinness in the gutters And once I thought I saw you from afar Now I'm in a nightclub in Helsinki And they're playing La Vida Loca once again I can't believe I'm dancing to this crap But I'm a chance here And every fucking city sounds the same At a cafe in the port of Amsterdam An email from you said you'd gone to Rome For a minute I thought, hmm, but my money was running low And anyway, it sounded like you weren't alone So I headed north till I got to Hamburg A chilly city suits a troubled soul And on the Reaper barn I paid a woman far too much To kick me out before I'd even reached my goal Now I'm in a restaurant in Stockholm And the waiter here wants me to know his name And I can order sandwiches seven different languages But every fucking city tastes the same A river dirty, au revoir, our in hasta la vista, baby Every fucking city tastes the same Top tier I saw one little cord fluff there but we'll let that pass <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that these, this one kind of came out in the 90s after you'd kind of done your first big dash of albums you did what six in as many years almost we Yeah um yeah, I did, I did sort of five albums between 85 and 91, uh, five, 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 six maybe, yeah, you're right. Then it was a bit more spaced out in yeah, the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the 90s. <laughs> Do you, did you ever worry with that kind of workload? And, I mean, the news cycle was a bit lot slower back then, but did you ever kind of worry that you might kind of lose a few pearlers in the hype of the next album? Or did, did those songs kind of shine through, the ones that the, the people love, or they're always going to find that song? Oh, yeah, I mean, like whether they're putting out too much. Yeah, yeah. you kind of cannibalise a little bit or... Yeah, I thought that, you know, sort of, I remember Bruce Springsteen said this thing about Van, Van Morrison. He said, you know, Van Morrison just kept putting out great record after great record, but, um, you know, there were, it was, um, 
people sort of weren't noticing because they were just, it sort of became expected or something. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to Van Morrison's Astral Weeks is one of my, my favourite records. And then a record not long after that called, um, uh, now see, I've forgotten the name of it, po Poetic Champions. But it's just, a, just as great a record. Mm. So I've just, I've just actually um, made my argument about if he put out too many records. <laughs> <laughs> but I think all songwriters, you know, you said, yeah, you just, it's not really, I mean, write, you don't sort of think about that writing songs, you just yeah. write songs and then I generally, once a song's finished, I I'll record it and then, you know, if it sounds okay, you put it out. Um, and then I just, but what happens is that some songs have more stickability than others, yeah. um, either for the audience or for me. I mean, I, there's songs that I don't really sing anymore because I've sort of lost touch with them or they're not that good. And so, but what sort of stays is just the songs. I forget which, you know, I even don't remember which albums certain songs come from. I just know that they're still, still always contenders for a set list when I sit down to put a set list. Together. Do you remember the first time you heard one of your songs being played, you know, in public in a cafe or a... Oh, vivid, vividly. I remember the first time we heard Before Too Long, um, the band and I were driving from Sydney to Melbourne in my first father-in-law's old Kingswood and um, it came on the radio and it was the first time I actually heard the song coming at us. I mean, apart from being in the studio where you, you know, you play it and you listen to it, listen to it back and and you sort of, by the, you know, you get sick of it by the time you've finished recording it. But that's the first time it actually, and then we sort of played it live, so you're hearing it while you're playing it live, but to actually hear the song coming at you, yeah. and you've got, you, don't, you don't have to do a thing, but the song's just playing at you. Yeah. That was, yeah, I remember that very vividly. We, were, we just, just all jumped up in the air and, and managed to get the car on the road and kept going. Did that impress the father-in-law? <laughs> Not when I, I left the uh, I left the car on um, in King's Cross at the because uh, I was living just near there and I left the car at the end of anyway oh, yes, it was right. a dark end of the street and the um, bourbon uh, beefsteak. Uh, uh, oh, um, no, it was one that got, you come up to the cross and that first one on the left on Victoria past, Street. Past the yeah, chemist yeah. called Paul yeah, Kelly. Yeah. There used to be a chemist there called Paul <laughs> Kelly, <laughs> but um, it was down the end of that street and I left it there a couple of days and when I came back at the it was up on. It had been stripped. And it was on blocks. Got, yeah, it was on blocks. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the end of that car. Someone needed some tyres. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you bounce between cities um, a lot over the career. Do you have like a hometown reception anywhere? Do you? Is there any city that loves your music more than the rest? A bit like the Hilltop Hoods when they go to Adelaide. You know, they got that hometown kind of reception. Well, Melbourne's like a hometown yeah. for me. I've been there so long and in every way it's, it's, it's a hometown because well, my kids are growing up there and... They're still there, and um, I've lived there so long. I've lived in the same house for 25 years, and and um, so and also playing there. I think it's we probably, you know, it's easy to sell tickets in Melbourne than you know, other places. Now, not just you, but the the whole um, kind of extended family have moved around Australia a lot. Um, they're all living in different parts, and we'll just take a quick moment to shout out Danny Sheen and Longridge. He's a uh, you go to travel agent in Western Queensland. <laughs> G'day, Danny. I hope those airlines aren't gouging out the arse. Um, yeah, just a quick shout out. If you need uh, any flights to anywhere, you need a, a flight to uh, Townsville, Brisbane, he's your man. Danny Shan's the man. Yeah. <laughs> is, um, is that, do you reckon that's in the family, the, the travelling the traveling or, the, or, the, or the moving around? 
or your more homebodies? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to generalise about the family because there's quite a lot of us when you <laughs> add up all the cousins and stuff. There's quite a few teachers in the family. Yeah. If, there's, if there's a trend amongst the families that there's, there's quite a few teachers. Yeah. Well, there's uh, a lot of protagonists in your songs. Uh, they're either travelling to somewhere or travelling from somewhere. You know, especially one that was uh, that was a part of one of your more successful songs. Uh, he got married early. Are these people based on anyone, or are they based on you, or people you know? Or yeah. Uh, no, no, they're made up, but um, they're not. They're, they're, oh yeah, my songs are, are fiction, and that's the way I've always felt about them. But um, there's often little details in there that can't, you know come from. You know, like with the last one I sang, that was, you know, that was, a, that was sort of... Uh, I, I did wander through Temple Bar seeing people <laughs> throwing up their Guinness in the gutters. So, <laughs> but, um, so that all comes in, but the actual yeah. story itself, um, the buttery in, in, in Two Her Doors yeah, yeah. is a real place, but I've never been there, but yeah. I've known people who have been yeah. there. So it's Interland, Interland, um, Northern Rivers up there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of... Um, there's something for everyone, you know, and I'm not sure in Two Door when he's in, surrounded by the cane fields, did you have any, did you have any where in your mind? Was that, was that up in North Queensland or was that North New South Wales? When he was it was North, North New South Wales, yeah. I guess, because that's with the, yeah. where the, but, the buttery is and, yeah, and um, that, that uh, the cane fields are sort of pretty strongly imprinted on me because when the, uh, my mother and some of the younger kids moved up to Queensland in the late 70s. They lived at Ormo, uh, just a bit south of Beenley, halfway between yeah. Brisbane and the Gold Coast. And that, and that was all the back roads there were all like full of, full of cane fields. So um, that was great. It was great to sort of drive around, walk around there. And the cane fields have a kind of special kind of atmosphere and presence. Slightly menacing when the storm's coming mm. yeah. over mm. the water. Even when they're on fire too, that's yeah, really yeah, reminiscent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, it, and it's similar wherever you are on the coast. You know, there's a lot of Italians, a lot of uh, you know, North Queensland's a bit the same. And remember, I'm not sure where it was. Was it in a film you did where you had the the opera in the cane fields? Yeah, that's based on um, um, my grandparents, who were both opera singers, and they started a. Uh, my grandfather was Italian, she was Irish Australian, and they started the. Italo Australian Opera Company in the 20s. And uh, this is, you know, before government subsidies for opera, so they were just a kind of a shoestring uh, operation. They had a piano player, a, a couple of singers, a tenor, a baritone and a soprano. And they had, sometimes they would have a chorus volunteers. They wouldn't do full operas, but they would do like a recital, like, so excerpts from various Italian operas, various arias, so from Verdi and um, Puccini, and and they they toured Queens, up the Queensland coast and to all those towns and to the Cane, the Cane towns, um, Ingham. Uh, they went west out to Innes, Innisfail. They also played. Mm. Um, they went west out to Longreach on the train. Mm. Um, well, you can certainly hear the influence of the opera in uh, in your songs, but not you know in terms of like, you know, hitting the high notes, hitting the low notes, you're, um, it's more or less kind of like a, a rock opera, but for, uh, but for the folk music where you've, you've got these characters and they, and they travel and they go through these tribulations. Is, is that 
a, a fair assessment? Um. Oh, yeah, I mean, my songs are storytelling quite a lot of the time. Um, I don't know if I took my story, <laughs> I took my stories from opera storylines, they wouldn't make, I mean, I don't, I don't know, can't think of an opera line, a storyline that makes, makes any sense. Yeah, They're yeah. kind of ridiculous. Yeah, not as accessible <laughs> as to her door. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I, I think for the storytelling, a, a lot of that is just, that's sort of my natural, what I'm drawn to. I'm drawn to cinematic songwriters. I love songwriters like Lou Reed. You know, you can see his, you can see his story, see his, you know, this, this, the mm. songs are set in particular places and you can see them. Ray Davies, you know, um, Waterloo Sunset. And the images are really, really visual. Jack Berry's another one. So the songwriters have told stories like that where you can almost see and taste and smell the songs. I'm drawn to that. Mm. Well, one of the first kind of stories and protagonists Australia was introduced to, um, you know, on the charts through your music was uh, the bloke that got married early. The bloke that got married early. Can you uh, can you give us a, a little rendition of that one? Yeah, I just have a very excited about this. Drink of water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Two Door was also um, influenced by American short story writer Raymond Carver, who I was reading a lot at the time, and uh, he liked. What I liked about his stories was that they, they they told a lot with very few words, and they sort of ended. There was always a lot happening around the edges of the story. There was the characters in their situations, but you never quite knew the other things bearing down on the story that weren't in the story. And the stories often ended on a unresolved note, where you didn't know what was going to happen next, or the stories might end as something's just about to happen. So that's so. What happens in this song, it, it doesn't, it, it's, the end of the song is really the start of, you don't know what's going to happen next, yeah. but it's the start of something. They got married early, never had no money, then when he got laid off, Really hit the skids Started up his drinking Then they started fighting He took it pretty badly Well she took both the kids She said I'm not standing by To watch you slowly die So watch me walking Out the door Out the door Out the door she said, shove it, Jack. I'm walking out your fucking door. She went to her brother's. Got a little bower. He went to the buttery. Stayed about a year. Then he wrote a letter. He said, I want to see you. She thought he sounded better, so she sent in the money for the fair. He was riding through the cane in the pouring rain on McCafferty's to her door, to her door, to her door, to her door.
claiming on a Sunday Every muscle aching Walking in slow motion Like he'd just been hit Did they have a future? Would he know his children? Could he make a picture? And get them all to fit? He was shaking in his seat Riding through the streets In a silver top To her Shaking in his seat Riding through the streets In a silver top Taxi cab To her door To her door To her door To her door Forever loving door Why, why, you guys pick all the songs with all the bad language in it. <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah. 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 It's a, a moment to just process what happened to <laughs> us then. Uh, it, um, never thought I'd see that song sung so close to me. So. <laughs> By is you, it, Paul, um, I've heard it around playing campfires. <laughs> <laughs> is it true that that song took about seven years to write? Yeah, I wasn't working on it the whole time though. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 yeah, the music was a long time before I had the words. Yeah. Uh, I actually wrote that wrote it on piano and, a, and I'd recorded it. I was living in a flat in Punt Road in Melbourne and um, just recorded it on cassette, which is what, what I usually used to do. And um, along with a whole lot of other musical ideas and I have piles and piles of, of cassettes that um, just sort of me moaning and gibbering over chord changes and then some of them I end up putting words to. But I was just going through some old cassettes one day and found that tune and um, and uh, ended up putting the words to it. The sort of I had a um, an offer to go and play at a a poetry at poetry night in Sydney at the old Tivoli, and um, I thought oh, I'd better write something for the poets, so I wrote that. Yeah, but that song has a lot of themes in it that kind of we don't really hear enough of in in kind of Australian music. Stuff. It's kind of a lot more prevalent in society is it, than it is in, in music. Does that kind yeah, of... I don't, I don't know if I agree. I think it's, you think of, you probably maybe you might find that more in hip hop. Yeah. I think they're out there, but they're, they're maybe not on commercial radio so yeah. much. I mean, probably what's, you know, that song got a lot of um, commercial airplay. I think it might be, if I wrote that, had released that song today, um, it might be a lot harder to get it on some of the radio formats, yeah. which are probably a lot more conservative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did, did you find people came up? And, and tell you that that's them, or that's their cousin, or that's their sibling, when they hear when they hear that. Yeah, with it, with a lot of the songs, yeah, yeah, people say, oh, that's you know, that's my story, or yeah, how did you know that? How did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know about the buttery? <laughs> <laughs> now, Paul, the last time we spoke to you, you just released uh, your last album, Nature, and uh, there's a, there's a track from that on this greatest hits album. When you come up with a new album, do you ever wonder, you know, oh, this song's going to end up on the Greatest Hits album? Sometimes you don't know whether songs are hit for many, many years. I mean, How to Make Gravy wasn't a hit when it came out, nor From Little Things, Big Things Grow, that sort of... Sort of slow burner. They're slow burners, so yeah. you don't know. But we just picked a sort of probably for their... You know, again, it's hard to sort of pick from a, from 
an album that came out last year for a, a you know a collection that's out this year. You just picked a sort of the three strongest tracks, and they were and the song the songs that were you know, in a way were singles in, in the sense that we did a you know we did a film clip. Um, so the you know the one I'm going to yeah. play, a, a bastard like me. We did a we did a film clip for it, and and it's a really sort of sort of strong live song. So it, it was it, it had a good good chance to get on the collection. Do you ever feel in in the studio that um, regardless of the greatest hits uh, you know compilation, you feel this is going to be the this is going to be the song of this album. This is going to be the one that kind of leads, or do you, or do you get surprised yeah. by which one pops off? Um, bit of both. Sometimes yeah. you think, oh yeah, this is this is this would be pretty popular. Mm. Yeah. And I thought I had that feeling with firewood and candles, but um, but other times I'm completely wrong. So you th yeah, some some surprise you. The ones that are popular and the the ones that aren't. Do you know which one surprised you the most? Yeah. Was it gravy? Uh, I think that one really, yeah, because yeah. that doesn't, you know, it doesn't have any, as far as sort of, if there are rules for songwriting, it doesn't have, it doesn't follow many of the rules, there's no, and I never, and it's sort of because it's half talk, half song, it's not, yeah. to me I never thought it would be a, a sing-along song, yeah. but, but we play it and people sing along, it's hilarious. And it gets caned <laughs> at Christmas time around the, every every household around the country too, yeah, it's, uh, it's um, we've done a few, few stories on Batuta Advocate, there was a siege um, in a local Brisbane household when Dad refused to take it off rotation. I know, I know, <laughs> no, 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 that that's, I read that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, bastard like me. Sorry again, a third, a third song with swearing in the, even in the title. Oh, of this yeah. one. <laughs> we worked together with your label on this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, now it's a tribute to the late um, Aboriginal leader and activist Charlie Perkins. When when did he first kind of um, catch your attention? Because you would have been only a kid during the Freedom Rides and, and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. His, his early kind of civil rights work. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't notice it at the time, mm. 1965. Mm. Um, but, you know, pr probably in the 80s I would have started hearing, hearing about him and um, re reading about him. And then, you know, later on I met um, Rachel Perkins and, and worked with her. So, and, um, and then... Uh, this is about, I think about six years ago now, Rachel was doing a project, Rachel Perkins was doing a project about the bungalow, which was the, uh, the institution in Alice Springs for, for young Aboriginal kids that were taken away from their parents, you know, and that, you know, that's the, the, the ones they called half-castes. And Charlie was one of those kids who was, was put, in, put, in, put into the bungalow. And she was, she did a, was doing a theatrical project for the bungalow and sent me, said, would you like to write something for it? And that got me thinking about Charlie again, and I reread his autobiography again then, and it was just, and it's called A Bastard Like Me, and it's like, you know, you're a songwriter and you get a title like that coming along, you think, that's got to be a song. We'll start from there. So <laughs> I wrote the song, you know, based on, based on the book, very generally, and, uh, and then they used it in, in the show, but um, I wasn't, I couldn't at the show and then it sort of just lay yeah you know, so the song was written was just still um it just still hadn't been released except for that live on stage and then um we i took it to the band you know a couple of years ago and they sort of the band sort of you know really jumped on it and it turned out really well the recording with the band so yeah, that's why it ended up on um, the last record mm. and then again on on the Greatest hits as well. It's um, yeah. 
it's included. But you don't, you don't have the band here, but we would we'd love to hear. Uh, yeah, the, is it a harmonica job? No, I'm going to do this one without harmonica. It's good. Yeah. Um, oh, the other thing, you know, and like I said, we did a clip for that song, which was, um, which Rachel helped me with, and we had a lot, you know, got lots of archival footage. So I really love the clip for this song. It's one of my favourites. Mm -hmm. My my favourite clips generally are the ones where I don't have to be in it. <laughs> I like Bradman yeah, for that yeah, reason yeah. too. And yeah. Just uh, just tell the story through the character. I was born in the bush near old Alice Springs As far as you get from the sea My mother was a fighter, my daddy was too He never knew a bastard like me My brothers and sisters are scattered like the wind From the desert and the hills to the sea Much too young, many died, but I had survived So lucky a bastard like me Ooh, So lucky A bastard like me I have survived The hell of a ride Nobody knows A bastard like me Call me a stray Or a dog every day Call me a mongrel Half-breed Mongols are strong, so if you take me on, watch out for a bastard like me. Ooh, you better watch out for a bastard like me. I fought all the way, and I fight every day. We'll try and stop a bastard like me. I've taken my kicks I am a man of degree I wear the scars I earn them so hard Every day in a lucky country Ooh, Every day in a lucky country I've taken my licks And I've kicked against the pricks Or try and stop a bastard like me Have you had the chance to play that live much uh, since? Yeah, yeah, we've been playing it, yeah. We've been playing it sort of ever since it came out. This is only a year. Yeah. We've actually done a lot of gigs this year, but it's sort of, it's, it's in the set. It's going to be in the set for... Uh, the gravy shows, yeah, right, and um, and uh, other shows we got coming up. Yeah, the band really likes playing that one. Mm -hmm. They would sort of give me a hard time if I didn't put it on the set list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've written quite a number of songs about Aboriginal issues and and rights. How do you approach that? Like, do you come across something and think that needs, you know, some airtime? That needs a a voice in the mainstream? Well, they just come out of you. Um, it's it's probably more. 
it's like it usually comes from something like, oh, a bastard like me, that, what a great title, yeah. I've got to write a song about it. Or with From Little Things, Big Things Grow, that came from seeing the, the famous picture by Mervyn Bishop of Gough Whitlam pouring dirt into the hands of Vincent Lingari yeah, yeah. when they handed back the, the lands to the Gurindji people. They usually, the songs for me start from the, from, I guess from the bottom up, not the top down. Yeah. I don't think I've got to write a song about land rights. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just, it's, they come out of, um, you know, out of the story of it, or and, um, and often the visual, a little visual detail. Um, how do people respond uh, when you run into them and you've written a song about them? You know, uh, you know that one was obviously the late Charlie Perkins, but you've written about people who are still kind of there's a chance of running into them. Um, yeah, well, one of one of my great friendships is with Yami Lester, who's who who died um, not that long ago. But I met him after writing a song about Marilinga because he. He was uh, involved in giving evidence at the Royal Commission in the mid-1980s into the atomic bomb tests at Maralinga. So um, I wrote the song, it came out, and then we went to play in Alice Springs, and some people who knew Yami and knew me said, come, you know, you want to meet him? I said, yeah. So we met, we met in a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> and, uh, and we sort of stayed friends ever since, and he, he, would often, he often mainly lived out bush down near a place called Malabar, and um, but he would often be in Alice Springs, and if he, he'd come to town and we played, and he'd, he'd always say, are you gonna play that song? <laughs> well, yeah. Yes, song. yes sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it was one of those, one of those, just one of those great people that you walked into the room, he had this beautiful, big smile, and you just, you just felt, you just happier, happier than you were before when you saw him. And I like you always used to say, um, Shall we have a cool drink? You know, you know what you say, cool drink. I mean, have a, let's have a beer. Yeah. Shall we have a cool drink? Yeah. <laughs> did, you, um, did you ever get the chance to, and have you ever had the chance to play from Little Things, Big Things Grow to the Gurindji mob, like out there? Uh, yeah, we've, we were, um, Kevin and I were up there for the 45th anniversary, I think, a few years back, and um, met, met various members of the family. So, yeah, over the years I've met, you know, quite a, um, Quite a few people have. Um, people keep coming up all the time and say, "Yeah, that's my mob." Mm. Yeah. Have you ever had a, a chance to meet a person who's written a song about you? I can't think of anything yeah. right, right off the bat. Well, we know Matt Mason from the DMAs has a Paul Kelly tattoo on his head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? On his yeah. head? On yeah. yeah. his head. On his head. And does he? Does he always? Does he always? Have it's among others. Yeah. He's got a few others yeah, as well, yeah, yeah. and he always keeps his head shaved. So yeah. His yeah, head. yeah. 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 Well, maybe there's a DMA's Paul Kelly collaboration in the near future, now that we've um, introduced that oh, information yeah, we, to you. Yeah, we can <laughs> knock heads together. <laughs> well, you've, you've just released a new one, a new collaboration with Casey. Have you, had you worked with Casey Chambers before? Yeah, quite a lot. Yeah? Yeah. Um, when she first was doing touring, she supported us um, for a while. That didn't last long, and she, she got really big. And uh, transition from opening up, <laughs> <laughs> but in that that around that time we first worked together just touring. We she had written a song called "I Still Pray," mm -hmm. and um, and suggested we do a duet. So we recorded the song on that on that tour, mm -hmm. and um, so that was the first time we actually recorded together. And then you know we crossed paths a lot over the years in the states and Australia and played together and. Um, I produced 
uh, she, her last record, well, not her last record, she's the one before the Campfire one, um, Fireflies, which is a double album. So yeah. I did one of those, you know, that she did one of those records in Melbourne with a band that I, I organised, and she mm. did the other, the other record, yeah. the other disc in, you know, with her usual crew up on the Central Coast. Um, but, you know, working with her on that record was just a joy, because she's yeah. on, just on fire. You know, Brings a good energy, doesn't she? Yeah, and also yeah. So she just had to hit this vein of, for me, this, this, the vein of songwriting that she was, was in, you know, I think she's still in, you know, she's, she's sort of taken um, her, her mute, you know, she's sort of seen as a country singer, but she's pushing it more to like, I would call it country soul, like, mm -hmm. yeah. Ain't No Little Girls, like classic country soul song, mm -hmm. and there was songs like that on that record. And uh, yeah, she said, there's no sort of warm up takes with <laughs> Casey, yeah, yeah. you know, and we record live, just set the band up and you know, sit, just had to make sure that the band knows, you know, just be on your game because when she starts singing, that might be the take. So, um, and everyone sort of you know, lifts, lifts. So that's why she's great to work with. And um, I wrote this song, it's the most, you know, the most recent song, um, When We're Both Old and Mad. Mm. I wrote it as a poem first and then put it to music and then thought, oh, this would be a great, great duet. And um, so I thought of Casey. It's a, she thought she had the right kind of, uh, I mean, it's a bit, it's a kooky kind of song, and mm -hmm. she's got, she's got the right amount of kook yeah. to so do it. Yeah. She spent yeah. enough time in Copacabana, Central <laughs> Coast, yeah, yeah. 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 So I take it this song was recorded on the first take then? <laughs> um, I, I think it was. We, I think we'd, we'd, um, she came to, the, she came down to Melbourne especially to, to record it, and we, I'd had the band in the morning, and so we were sort of just getting it up and we worked out the key yeah. and then Ben and I got, got it up and running and sort of had it sitting pretty, pretty nicely. So then we just played it and we both sang it. Um, I think it was about two or three takes. It was pretty quick. It's always pretty quick, quick, quick with Casey. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy when you know how, isn't it? We might have picked a bit between the takes. But, yeah. um, well, of the songs you're going to sing for us today, this is the only one I haven't heard, so I'm... Oh I'm, right! I'm excited to hear this so, one. So okay, so does, it, does it still have swearing in it? Is it we're going no, to keep on, on trend? No, there's no swearing in this one. This is this is family friendly song. <laughs> yeah. um, I think. Um, so just to set it up, um, Casey sings the second verse, mm -hmm. and then they get to some oohs in the middle, which we sing together, and then the last verse, yeah. Casey and I sing together. Okay. It's pretty short and sweet. It's called "When We're Both Old and Mad." much what we say we'll be younger every day we'll laugh when we should be sad we'll laugh when we should be sad ride our bikes down to the bay going home we'll lose our way when we're both old and mad when we're both mad and old We'll live in a house chock full of books We'll lose each other for days in nooks Then find each other to hold We'll find each other to hold Feed a few too many pets 
We'll forget we once had regrets when we're both mad and old. Ooh la la, ooh la 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 la, ooh la 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 la. When we're both old and mad, we'll wear our jumpers inside out. We'll think we whisper though we shout. We'll weep when we're feeling glad. We'll weep when we're feeling glad. Ride our bikes down to the sea. Swim like dolphins, you and me. When we're both old and mad. When we're both old and mad. When we're both old and mad. That was an exclusive. It's the first uh, first uh, performance uh, live on on video. That's right. On stage, yeah. yeah. You played that on stage. We haven't played it. Yeah, but we'll play it. We'll know it's going to be. Um, mm. It was going to be in the set list for the for the show, so looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It always amazes us how many songs you have in your head that you can uh, just yeah. remember to play on on the spot. That's uh, do, do, you don't forget any. Uh, the ones I play, you know, I have to. Um, there's a lot. I probably would have. I reckon for, I probably at least have 150 that I, I could remember straight away now. <laughs> I think that I, I started doing the. Um, a to Z shows, you yeah. know, a few years back, and um, well, I started them in, I started doing them in 2005, I think, and then we've done them every now and then, you know, uh, and that was sort of put a lot of songs, because before that I'd sort of had a lot of the old songs I'd sort of forgotten because I wasn't playing that often, but sort of doing shows like that where you sort of play, uh, you know, a hundred songs or more over five nights, over, over four nights, Sort of cemented that, you know. So I did a lot of those shows with my nephew Dan, and um, so and also when Dan, Dan and I tour as a duo quite a lot, especially overseas. Mm -hmm. So we get, yeah, and he knows, he knows those songs better, some of the old songs better than I do. So he's always reminding me and says, oh, let's let's do that song, and so we'll, I'll relearn it and learn it. And after a while, you know, there's. You do it often enough, they just stick in your head. Mm. Until dementia kicks in. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've, what have you got on now? You've got the gravy shows this year, mm -hmm. and uh, that, that's the next kind of tour, is that? And the book tour as well. So, yeah, the book, uh, smaller tour with the book in uh, smaller theatres, and I'm doing those shows, I'm just performing poems that I put to music and maybe reciting, reciting some of the poems from the book. It's an anthology of my favourite poems. And I'll be doing that, those shows with Alice Keith, who's um, performed with me before. She was, sang on the Sonnets record and she sang on uh, The Trees, which was a Philip Larkin poem that I put to music, which was on the last record. So we've been working together on and off over the last four or five years. She's also on the Bir on 30 Ways to Look at Birds, which is a record that came out earlier this year. So it's just Alice and I are doing those shows and um, talking a bit about the book and the po poems. Then we roll into the gravy shows mm -hmm. with uh, Courtney Barnett and 
uh, Kate Miller-Heidke and Marlon Williams um, and Thelma Plum in Sydney. And then January, Cold Chisel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else? A little a tribute night to Joy McKean and Tamworth mid-January, mid which is going to be great. Uh, a whole lot of different people singing Joy, Joy McKean's songs, you know, a lot of them that Sli Slim made famous. Yeah. Yeah. It never ends, does it, Paul? He's not showing any signs of slowing down. <laughs> and I dare say there'll be another album pops up somewhere down the track too. I don't know, he's just, he's working, working hard. That's three, four tours you just outlined the next Well, they, you know, they're not, they're not, they're, those gravy shows, there's only four gravy shows yeah. and there's only four shows with Chisel, yeah, so it's yeah. not like, you know, bang, bang, you yeah. know, five shows a week for yeah, seven yeah. weeks or something. So yeah. it's pretty cruisy. Yeah. Well, um, we're, we're glad to see you keeping busy and thanks for, thanks for joining us today, Paul. And, Good luck in the next few months. Thank you. Yeah. It sounds like you guys are pretty busy too. Good yeah, we'll be, we'll be, we might clash, uh, clash paths in different cities on the book tour. We got, we, we'll be doing a few little yeah. intimate shows too. All so right, the book, yeah. We'll give you a yell when we're in Melbourne. All right, thank you. Good luck with that. Let's it. go get a cool drink. Thanks, Paul. Cool <laughs> drink. <laughs> Thanks, Cheers. Thanks for that. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you. Perfect.